0: Hey, this marks the beginning of a new year. My name is Andrew. I am the lead pastor at Mountain Park Church, and you're listening to the Mountain Park Church podcast. So we're starting out a new year. And as we said all through the fall last year, we believe this year is a very significant one in the life of our church maybe even our region, we feel God stirring some pretty deep and big things in us. And this year our prophetic word for the life of our church is consecrated. To enter into a season of consecration is to enter into a season of intentional preparation. And that's what we are calling you into. In a moment, you're gonna hear from Pastor Brenda as she opens up the year by just reviewing what that word consecrated means and how we can begin to apply it in our own lives and how we will apply it in the life of our church as we move forward this year. And one of the things that I just, I wanna call you up into this year and out of, I wanna call you out of a life of winging it spirituality this year. One of the the most significant lessons I've been learning over the last four to five years is that intentional consistency wins the day every time over one-time heroic acts. We're not inviting you to do anything heroic spiritually this year, we're inviting you into small, consistent, intentional changes. That's it. And I guarantee you, just from my own experience in my own life, that small, intentional decisions that are lived out with consistency over time produce way more fruit Than big things done quickly that are just a flash in the pan. So, this year, as we invite you into a consecrated life, we're inviting you not into these monumental, massive, you know, um, massive God, I'll do this for you moments. We're inviting you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are one or two things that you are looking to have greater access to and influence in my life this year? What are one or two things that you're inviting me into this year to offer to you in a deeper way or maybe for the first time? For some of you, that could be uh, tithing and giving, and we wanna call you into that as we start the year. We wanna call you into the discipline of regular tithing and giving. If you've never done it before, that's okay. We want to call you to start. If you are a winging it kind of tithing person, we want to call you into consistency with that. We want to call you into um, uh, a rhythm of giving God your first and best. If you are a, hey, I sort of tithe whatever I have left over and whatever I have, you know, you know, at spare at the end of the month, we want to call you into a first fruit type of giving where you are giving the first 10% of your income to God as a as a practice of spiritual devotion, a practice of trust and faith. And again, not just a one-time thing, but a consistency over time in your life. Uh, These are the types of rhythms and the types of things we're calling you into. We are calling you into a different rhythm of prayer life, uh, setting aside time for God, and whatever else he's inviting you into this year. So uh, we will get into what it means to be consecrated and surrender our lives to Jesus in greater ways with Pastor Brenda right now.
1: Today, we are jumping back a little bit to look again at this word consecrated which again, Mark had said at the beginning of the service that this was the word that we chose for the church for this year. And that comes with a lot of discernment and prayer from our leadership team. We're not just picking a word out of the air. This is a word that we feel that God has laid on our hearts for this season and this time and this moment in our church, that we would be a people who are consecrated to service for him. And so I want to go back to this because we only did one Sunday back in the fall. Um, if you remember, uh, Janet Dirksen came up and she did a wonderful in-depth teaching on this word consecrated. But I would you know, assume that some of us have forgotten some of that or maybe weren't here. So I'm just going to go back and I'm going to review some of those ideas and thoughts on consecration, say them in my own way. And um, at the end... You notice when you came in, there was a wee teeny little card on your chair. I don't know if you've looked at it. You might not even be able to read it. There was a little bit of a printing mistake when these went off quickly just before Christmas. They were supposed to be postcard size, but we actually hit business card size. So I'm really sorry if you need a magnifying glass to read that thing. But it's going to be at least something that you have in your hand when you leave today. To consider this question, what am I consecrating to God in my life this year? What in my life needs to be consecrated to him or fully devoted to him this year? And that's what we're asking you. Now, by the way, in years past, we've often done a word of the year for you. We've, We've often said, we want you to pick a word of the year. We didn't actually engage in that this year, but that's still a practice you can do on your own. I've got a word for this year. My word is peace. I'm really looking forward to what that might mean. It's not like it has been in some other years when they're like, you know, a little bit of a harsher word. You're like, oh God, really sacrifice? I don't know what's coming up with that, right? Or discipline, ouch. I got that one two years in a row once. I was like, really? (laughs) You're not learning your lesson. Okay, well, here we go again. This year it's peace, so I'm excited to see that. So if that's something you want to do on your own, you know, the invitation is always there for you to do that and share it with the people who you do life with. Excuse me. So as we jump into this word consecration, we're going to revisit this and and talk about it a bit. I want to give some biblical thoughts and perspective and then some practical examples of what this might mean. So in the Old Testament, we have this word that's often translated consecrate or consecration. We don't see that word very much in the New Testament, but there's a very similar Greek word that's often translated into being either holy or sanctified. So those three words are almost interchangeable all throughout scripture, depending on what version you're reading or how the authors have chose to translate it in that version. So consecrated, sanctified, holy. That's what we're looking at today. The general meaning of these three words is to be set apart. And often this was very common things set apart for a very special purpose. These are common things set apart for a special purpose. Things of this world that have been defiled by sin, that are washed and anointed and set apart for God to use for a special purpose, redeemed for the purposes of God. Throughout the Bible, we see things like ground is sacred and holy, when God appeared to Moses through the burning bush, he said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy, consecrated, dedicated ground. The things that were used in the early tabernacle and temple, they were items, regular, normal utensils and items that were washed or anointed and set apart for service in the, in the holy of holies, in the place where sacrifices were made, in the presence of God. And we know that people were also set apart for a very special purpose. And sometimes people of the Old Testament consecrated themselves. We saw this scripture back when we were talking about Joshua, when God said to the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves to me. They were already as people, already as nation. But he said, consecrate yourselves today, because tomorrow I'm going to do something amazing among you. And so what did they do? They washed themselves and they changed their clothes. That was a common thing with people in the Old Testament. After David was was found in sin and confessed his sin to the Lord, he washed, he bathed himself, and he changed his clothes to consecrate himself again to the Lord. This was a very common thing in Old Testament scripture. Because defiled things, things of sinful nature, could not be in the presence of God. So an act of cleansing or purifying needed to take place in order for very common things to be used for a very special purpose. So as I said, there was washing, changing of clothes. There was also anointing and sacrifice. And it was sacrifice that kept people clean in the Old Testament. It was the sacrifice that once I sinned, I I could be clean again through the act of sacrifice. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, we see this vicious cycle of the Israelites drifting away from God and defiling themselves either through sin or mixing customs of the world around them or breaking their covenant vows to God and ending up in trouble because of it, often in exile or in in seasons of, of just pure destruction to their nation. The Old Testament shows us clearly, so clearly, that living a consecrated life, staying pure and clean and connected to God is something that we cannot do on our own. If the Old Testament serves any purpose, it's that we can't stay consecrated. We can't stay clean on our own. There's nothing we can do to be good enough to come into the presence of God. Nothing that we could do for ourselves to clean ourselves up enough for God. That's why sacrifices were made over and over and over to atone and to purify the people. There goes Joe again with a goat down to the temple. Wonder what he got up to this week, right? It wasn't even a private thing. Oh, I'm just in my little chair in my house and no one sees me. Good for you. They had to walk right up to the front of the temple with their sacrifices and give them to the priest to make atonement for them. This was a very public community thing. We wanna have a privatized faith in our you know, cl- cleaned up Canadian society. Our faith is so private. There's something about confessing your sin to another. There's something about going public with the things that you've held deep and secret inside of your heart. Not public to everybody maybe, but there is something about bringing things out of the darkness that's really, really important. So the Old Testament teaches us that we cannot do this on our own. One very important thing from the Old Testament. You can't do this. You can't. You can't do it on your own. We can't make peace with God on our own. We can't be good enough on our own. We need help. And that help came in the person of Jesus. And as Jesus comes on the scene, he's the long-awaited Messiah that the Israelites have been looking forward to. And he's the atoning lamb. There's all these words, all these phrases that talk about what Jesus did for us. He fulfills the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. He came to save the people from their sins, the final Passover lamb, the final sacrifice once and for all. In an instant, his death made atonement for everyone. We no longer have to come with sacrifices to the temple. You don't have to bring goats and turtle doves here when you come on Sunday because of the power of what Christ has done for us. When Jesus came on the scene, everything changed. And there's this concept that we're going to talk about here this morning that we are washed by his blood. It's something we don't say much in church anymore. Man, people said this all the time when I was a kid. It was kind of weird. We're going to get into that in a minute too, about some of the weird things people said and saying in church when I was a kid. Something else happened when Jesus died. The veil in the temple was torn. This is a beautiful, symbolic Uh, Picture of a heavenly reality that the Holy of Holies was no longer the only place to meet with God. And in fact, the almighty God of heaven broke through his own barrier, the veil that separated us from his presence and came running towards us with his grace. What a beautiful thing that was. Jesus died for us. He did this for us. For the washing, the cleansing, the covering, and atoning for our sin. It was all finished at the cross once and for all. I don't have time to get into this deeply today, but there's this beautiful connection of being covered by God that goes, it weaves throughout the whole Bible. It starts in Genesis when Adam and Eve sin and they find themselves, oh my goodness, we're naked. And what does God do? He sews together skins and he covers them. He covered them. He covered them. And that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was gonna do on the cross. The prophet Isaiah sang about this too. He said, oh, we are are clothed with garments of holiness and robes of righteousness. This is a beautiful thing that God did for us. Washing us, covering us and atoning for our sin once and for all. I want to hit a few New Testament um, portions of Scripture that talk about us being sanctified really quickly, just so that we know it is a New Testament reality. John seventeen nineteen says this. This is Jesus praying to the Father, and he says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross, saying, I want, I want you to sanctify them, but I'm gonna sanctify myself first. I'm gonna stay holy. I'm gonna do everything you called me to do so that my fellow brothers, my human beings who I'm dying for, can also be sanctified. The writer of Hebrews said this, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of, of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Paul says this when he opens up the book of 1 Corinthians. He writes it to to the church of God in Corinth. To who? To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's us. All those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, that's us still today, sanctified, holy people, set apart for the purposes of God. You were washed. This is later in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is past tense it has happened it happened at the cross and we live in this already done and not yet in between already done and not quite yet it's already been done for us we don't always walk in the fullness of it we can We can learn to keep applying what Christ has done to our lives, to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep consecrating and dedicating ourselves like we're talking about today, to keep surrendering our will to his, to keep walking in his purposes. We're walking through the process. So we were sanctified. It's something that was set and done in heaven at the cross. We are being sanctified through our life and it will be finalized when we are in heaven with the Lord Jesus. Here's the thing. Oh, I wanted to throw this in before I move on. I talked about us used to sing these songs in church, these old, old, old hymns that are written in sort of strange language. And as a little kid growing up in church, seven, eight years old, I'm singing songs that are talking about a fountain of blood and and people being plunged under the flood or plunged in the blood. And I'm like, I don't know what this means, but here I am surrounded by these grandpas and grandmas and parents whose faces are turned to heaven and cheeks stained with tears and hands held high as they sang songs like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I didn't understand what those words meant. It's a little weird, yeah. But what a powerful reality for those who were singing it from the depths of their heart to a God who had saved and redeemed them, looking forward to the day they were going to see him face to face. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I went down a rabbit hole of old hymns this week. That was the nicest one that I could actually say and not feel bad about in church. But when we, here's the thing, when we teach an Old Testament concept, there is a tendency sometimes for us to approach it in an Old Testament way. The enemy loves this. He loves it when we forget about the cross. He loves it when we start falling back again under a burden of guilt and shame. He loves it when we try to strive and do everything on our own. He loves it when we're burdened and shameful and guilty. He loves that. Because we've forgotten about the power of the cross. And so when we teach about something like consecration, there's this tendency in, in our hearts to go, well, they're talking about something that's beyond me. Like, like that, that it's, God's asking too much of me if he's asking me to do that. Or... There's this heaviness of shame sometimes that comes on us that keeps us actually from running to the presence of God where we should be. And in general, that shame not only keeps us from coming to Jesus, it keeps us burdened, but it actually makes us believe that we need to clean ourselves up before we come into the presence of God. Like he must be so disgusted with us So ashamed of us that we need to clean ourselves up to come back to him. Have you ever felt that way? Has the enemy ever played that trick on you? That is not anything to do with what Christ has done for us or his beautiful cross. It's not that way anymore. Everything changed at the cross. But I feel like the enemy has this plan to whisper in our ear that we don't deserve it that we don't have it, that it's unattainable in some way, and that we still have to go back to an Old Testament way of trying to do it on our own. You don't have to clean yourself up to come into the presence of God anymore. When that veil was torn and the Spirit of God was released for every human being and an atonement came and we were washed clean, our relationship with the Father was restored. And now when we feel guilty about something, we can actually run to him, run like children into his throne room, right into his presence, right to his feet. And we can come with our struggles and we can lay down our shame and we can say, forgive me me and receive from him. We no longer need to go through a a purification through sacrifices. It's called confession and repentance. And we can do that anytime that we need to freely in the presence of God and freely receive the grace and mercy that he has for us. Because really, consecration is not for God. It's for us. It's not to make us better so that he can stand to be with us. It's not to clean us up so he can look at us and not be disgusted. It's actually for us and for our good. If we don't do this, if we don't dedicate ourselves to God, if we don't consecrate ourselves, if we don't submit, he doesn't change. What he's done doesn't change. He is who he is and always will be. But it's up to us. Do we want to submit and surrender ourselves to what he is calling us to? Because it is always for our good. Because he loves us so much. He calls us to full devotion. Because it is literally the only way to be free. It is the only life that is freeing and full of peace and contentment and victory is a life that is consecrated to the Lord. It's the life he created us for and chose us for. When we consecrate ourselves to God, it is the kingdom manifested and revealed in our lives, the reality of heaven in the middle of our broken world. And it is the most fulfilling and beautiful and peaceful life you will ever lead. Better than you could ever imagine, it is the best. And it's what God wants for you. And here is a wonderful and beautiful truth. God always makes the first move, always. Remember with the Israelites in their story, it starts with them as slaves, a nation in slavery in Egypt. Slaves to another nation, making bricks. And God says, you're going to be my people. And what does he do? He leads them out of slavery and across the Red Sea. He destroyed all their enemies. He brought them into the promised land. He led them, he provided for them, he protected them, and he made them a people. He did all of that for them. And all he said was, now I want you to be devoted to me. We see the same thing with Jesus. He came first to prove his love for us because God so loved the world, he sent his son. When we could do nothing for ourselves, when we couldn't earn that relationship for ourselves, when we couldn't set that right for ourselves, he sent Jesus for us. And Jesus provided the way for us. And again, all he does is say, I gave you everything. Will you give yourself to me? This is what a covenant is. But God always does his part first. Always. He always proves himself first. He always shows his love first. He always devotes himself to us first. And then says, all I ask is you would devote yourself back to me. How can we deny him that? When he's given us so much love and grace, how can we hold anything back from him? How could we? How dare we? We do all the time. We do all the time. We make it so common. The call to consecration is the call to set yourself apart to a holy God, to devote your whole self to a God who has already devoted his whole self to you. That's not It feels like it's not even asking much when you put it that way, does it? The only natural response to that kind of love is to kneel, to submit to it, to bow down. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because when we stand in his presence and we we grasp the full reality of what Jesus has done for us, there will be no other response but to fall to our knees in praise to him. And whether you've done it in this lifetime or not, you will in eternity. You will know his lordship. You will know how good he is and how worthy he is of your praise. So you can bow now or you can bow then, but you're going to bow eventually. I want to learn how to bow now. I want to learn how to submit to everything God is calling me into and everything that he has done for me. I want to learn how to do that. For those of us who are born again by his spirit, we don't have to wait until eternity. We can bow our knee here and now and experience the lordship of Jesus Christ as we willingly submit ourselves to him here and now and live in the benefit and freedom that comes with setting ourselves apart through consecration. That's what this word is all about this year. That's what we're calling you into. That's what that little card says, even if you can't read it. This is about consecrating our lives to God. So what is he asking from you this year? Just one thing. What is just one thing that you haven't devoted yet to him? What is one thing that you're holding back? What is one area of your heart that you're like, oh, that's kind of private, God. I don't know if I want you in there. What's one part of your life that you just, you, you just maybe feel like sometimes, oh, I'm pretty sure God doesn't see that, or at least There's grace. What part of your life are you flipping about? We're gonna get into some real examples in a minute, but this is the call to dedicate our lives to God. Here's the thing. I never make it through a message without like getting to the edge of crying a little bit. Just like the Israelites of the Old Testament, we tend to stray. Humans haven't really changed all that much. Human nature hasn't changed. We have a tendency to stray as well, to adopt the customs of the world around us, to compromise, to let our standard down, to let sin in our life, to have bad attitudes of the heart. We do this too. You know, we can read the Old Testament and we can criticize the Israelites because we see the story from beginning to end, right? And we can go, how could you be so stupid? Why are you building a cow? It was only a few days. Like, you know, I, I don't know. That's how I read the Old Testament sometimes. But we do the same thing all of the time in our everyday lives. God's ask is commit yourself to me. I will make you a great people. I will make you a great nation. A people that stands out in sharp contrast on the horizon of this world. But we wander and stray from commitment. We get distracted. get easily pulled away by the lures of the world and the desires of our own flesh. And we end up in our own form of exile and destruction. The Old Testament prophets. I don't know if you have trouble reading the prophets. My husband... And I were just having this conversation about our Bible reading plans for this year, and he's he's just really staying in the New Testament lately. <laughs> we were talking about how hard it is to get through certain portions of the Old Testament because it's it. Sometimes I think it feels like it's drawing us back into this system of, of like bondage and law, right? When we know that we've been set free. So I just want to read all the good stuff on the other side of the cross. I don't want to go back and see what that's like, but there's, there's, there is so much good stuff we get out of the Old Testament. And from the prophets in general, I find them hard to read. It, it's a lot of like, it feels condemning, but if you can see past that and you know that the heart of God is love, you can see that his call is always come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. We see this over and over and over. And the, and the Old Testament prophets, I love this too, over and over and over, you see them reminding the Israelite people of their story. You'll see this in almost every one of the Old um, Testament prophet books. Hey, come on, do you remember who I am? I'm your God. I'm the one who found you in slavery. I chose you to be my nation. I brought you out. I slayed your enemies. I took care of you and provided for you. I led you into the promised land. I did all of these things. Now, all I'm asking is just devote yourself to me. That's basically the message over and over and over through the Old Testament prophets. And the the thing is with God, is that no matter how much we stray, No matter how much we get stuff wrong, no matter how much we wander, he never changes. His faithfulness is not dependent upon our actions and behavior. He never changes. So when he calls us back, when he calls us back to him, it's this. I haven't changed, I haven't moved. I'm the same God who brought you out. I'm the same God who delivered you. I'm the same God who made a people where there was no people. I'm the same God who made a way where there was no way. I'm the same God who was faithful to you then and I'll be faithful to you still. I haven't changed, I haven't moved. Your wandering hasn't affected my faithfulness to you. I'm still standing here and I am your solid rock if you just choose to come back to me and commit yourself to me again. My end of the bargain hasn't changed. I can't break my promises to you. My covenant to you never changes. So just come back. Come back and commit yourself again to me. The call of God is for us to come back to him with all of our heart to submit our plans and our desires to bring ourselves back under him his hand and his covering and his commitment to us over and over and over through scripture is I will restore and I will rebuild and I will renew. I will restore, I will rebuild, and I will renew. Even when we make a destruction out of things, he says, come, come on, come back because I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to restore and I'm going to renew. My plans never change. Next week, we're going to start a new series called Renewal. And we're going to talk about this beautiful overarching theme from Genesis to Revelation, that God is a God of renewal, that he is bringing renewal, not just in our lives, but to this whole world. And we get invited to be part of that plan of renewal. And this is why God wants us to come back to him and consecrate ourselves to him and dedicate our lives to him. There's a reason for this. I got really lost in my notes here. I don't know. Sometimes I do this and then okay. So, I'll jump back in here. 1 Peter 2:9. Uh the apostle Peter is referring here to a couple of Old Testament scriptures. Uh, I was reading in some commentaries and he's really pulling from, it's like he just knows scripture. So he's like pulling from these different pieces from Exodus 19 and Isaiah 43 specifically. But Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Do you see this beautiful comparison between the Israelites and the church today? Peter's talking to the church. He's talking to us. But he's echoing some of those same words and same thoughts that we would have seen with the Israelite people in the Old Testament. I want to make you a people, a nation. And why is that? Why does God want a people? Why does God want a people that are His own special, set apart people? Why is that? Because that's been the plan since the beginning. It started with the nation of Israel. Today, it's the church, it includes all of us. Why does He want a people? He wants a people who can be an example in this world of what God is really like. He wants a people who show love. If your ears were perked at all by my thought of teaching a little bit on spiritual growth, I'll let you know right now. I'll give you one little tip. Your life isn't measured by your spiritual practices or how... Often you pray, it's measured by how much you love. The real marker of spiritual growth is how much do you love? Not just the people who are easy to love. How much do you love your enemies? God wants a people, a people who are different. Andrew used the language last fall, uncommon. Some versions of the scripture say a peculiar people. If you're a King James childhood person like me, a peculiar people. That just means a set apart chosen people. But what would a peculiar people look like in this world, in this time? What would their lives look like? They look a lot like the kingdom of heaven. They look a lot like their Lord and Savior. They look a lot like light and peace and life in a world that is so broken and hurting. There's something that God wants to do in your life so that your life is a place where people look and go, wow, there must be a God. Jess couldn't be so sweet all the time if there wasn't a God. (laughs) Joking, she's my friend, I can say that. (laughs) It's true though. We want people to look at our lives and say there must be a God. Because she's not much on her own. He's not much on his own. But I've seen that his life has changed. And I've seen there's something happening, and he's like peaceful all the time. And I don't know how he can be so kind and gentle and because you're showing forth the kingdom of heaven. The fruit of the Spirit at work in you that God is showing the world around you that there's a different way to live, a way that he set and prescribed before the beginning of time, before he breathed life into Adam. He had a plan for mankind and that plan is going to be redeemed. And he's calling us to be the kind of people who would carry that here and now so that the whole world would know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and who is good and kind and loving and who takes care of people. That's why he set the Israelites apart. That's even why he gave them the law. We look at the law and we think, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. It's like, you know, chapters and chapters and chapters of all these rules. The purpose of the law was so that, that the Israelites would actually stand out as a nation that was gentle and kind in the landscape that, that was barbaric around them that they would take in the foreigner, that they would take care of others. There's all this provision in the law the year of Jubilee, the setting free of people from debt and slavery. There was so many beautiful things in the law that set that nation apart. And God is still calling us to be that kind of people who are set apart, who live a different way, that people would look at us and go, how is everything just turning out to be okay for you? And and when it's not, you know how to walk in suffering with the presence of God and you've got peace and joy no matter what. I don't understand that, but I want it. That's why God wants a people. He wants a people who will show forth His praises in this world, who are light in the darkness. He wants us to be people who make other people want to know God. That's what He wants that they see the goodness and kindness of his work on display in our lives. It's not something that we can do in our own strength or that we get to take credit for. Even today, as you're consecrating a part of your life to God, as you're saying, this is something that I feel... I'm supposed to consecrate or dedicate to God this year. It's not in your own power or your own strength. We have the Spirit of God at work in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in me. And this process of being consecrated or dedicated to God isn't something we can do on our own. It is a Spirit-initiated, a Spirit-empowered, and a Spirit-led process. And so as you listen to what the Spirit is prompting you, You're going to know what it is that God wants you to dedicate to him this year. There's an intentional call here to set apart our lives. What a beautiful thing that we're actually dedicating ourselves to someone so dedicated already to us. In Romans 12, Paul referred to this as just reasonable service. Reasonable service, he called it sacrificing our lives. So the invitation for us this year is to be intentional about consecrating ourselves, intentional about naming the things in our life that need to bow or submit to the way God made us and the plans that he has for us. How can I more fully devote myself and my life to a God who's already fully devoted to me? Well, here's some very practical examples as we draw to a close. First of all, are you following what's laid out for your life in Scripture? That's pretty simple. You don't need a revelation from the Spirit of God. You don't need the Spirit of discernment to figure that out. It's right there in black and white. Are you being obedient to Scripture? Is there anything popping into your head right now where you're like, "Mm, I know that's in Scripture, but... Because God actually uses scripture to lay out for us the truth of how he designed us and purposed for us to live, how he wants us to be and move and live. There's really practical advice in scripture about our finances, about how to care for our physical bodies. It's not just all spiritual stuff. There's practical stuff in there. And if you don't know or understand what that's about, get a hold of one of your pastors. We would love to walk with you in that and teach you what is actually in the word that you can just follow with obedience. That doesn't even take any, you know, spiritual stuff. You say, I I don't feel like I hear from God. I don't feel like I hear the voice of, that's okay. It's all in scripture. And if he says anything to you personally, it's just gonna be a personal application of what's already in scripture anyway. So are you taking care of your temple, your physical body, the place where the presence of God now rests? Are you taking care of it? It's the one resource that we have that we can offer to God, fully devoted to him. That's practical. How about your bank account? Is that dedicated to God? Are you tithing? Are you saving? Are you spending wisely? Do you have a budget? Friends, these things are all in the Bible. What about your time management? Time is one of the resources we all have, the same 24 hours in every day. Are you wasting time playing games or binging on Netflix? Is God convicting you that maybe you need to limit some things in your life? I'm not saying you have to stop them entirely, but maybe you need to put some healthy limits and boundaries in your life so that you have a little bit more time and space for other things. Is there something you need to limit this year? How about taking care of your inner world? Attitudes of the heart, pride, jealousy, envy, strife. Are you constantly wishing you had someone else's life? Are you consumed with fear and worry? Are you judgmental? How do you talk about other people around the dinner table with your kids? How do you talk about yourself? Is there any place in your heart that you're holding back and not letting God in? Do I have an unhealthy mindset or perspective? Am I saying things flippantly that I shouldn't be saying? This is mine. I'm going to be open and honest with you today about what God said to me that I need to consecrate to him. Ministry isn't always easy. (laughs) Some of my friends know that. And so I have a tendency to say that I want to quit. That's an easy way out for me. I don't necessarily need to work. I do it because it's, it's a heart thing. It's a calling thing. I mean, I could work at Starbucks. I don't care. So when it's hard, I have a tendency to complain to the people closest to me about wanting to quit. I entertain the idea. Maybe I could quit. Maybe I could work somewhere else. I would happily work at Starbucks and make you a coffee and bless you on your day and pray over your cup as it goes. Like, I can do that. And I was standing here in worship when we were talking about consecration earlier in the fall. And I was like, meh, I think I'm good, right? And God said, no, you need to stop talking about quitting. And I was like, God, remember when you used to be nice? And he was like, no, I put you here. I called you here and I will tell you when you're done. I was like, okay. All right, I'm going to zip it. I'm going to stop talking about that. I shared that with a friend of mine, and she bought me a little keychain just to keep me in line. It says, can't quit, currently too legit. Now, if you don't if you don't know what that reference means, it's not your fault. You're probably just too young, and you missed the best era of music ever because you were born after the 80s. But it's okay. It's okay. I can send a link to MC Hammer in the email today, maybe. I don't know.
0: Okay, so as a child of the 80s as well, I'm not totally sure if I'm on board with Brenda's assessment that the 80s produced the best decade of music ever. I do remember MC Hammer, his pants, and that song, and no, I don't think we're gonna link to that one for you. But I do wanna give you time, as we regularly do, time to linger with the Holy Spirit one of the things we want to call you into uh, in this season of your life is to move beyond just hearing content to um, processing it deeply, allowing the Holy Spirit to then come in and speak into that. And that's what these end of our podcast moments are for. And look, it doesn't matter right now if you're driving, if you're at work, if you're walking through the mall Uh, if you're at school you probably shouldn't be listening to this if you're in a class but anyway it doesn't matter what's going on the holy spirit is capable to speak to youth in the middle of the noise that you're surrounded by And so i just i want to invite you to take a risk wherever you are right now under the sound of my voice to take a risk and just simply ask holy spirit what are one or two areas of my life that you want me to consecrate? I want you to ask that. We're going to give you some music as a as an underscore here as you listen to the Spirit for a moment. What is it you're inviting me to give you in a different way or for the first time this year in my life? I'm just asking Holy Spirit that you would move us this year beyond just ingesting content. Move us to a place of encounter with you. Move us to a place of experiential life with you. Would you continue in your mercy and in your goodness to just stir in us um, recognition, revelation of the areas of consecration in our lives that you're inviting us to. Would you um, fill us with the capacity to make small incremental change with consistency this year? Would this year be a year marked by consistently doing small things for you and with you? Would you move us into a greater measure of knowing the Father, knowing the love of the Father, and learning what it means to abide in his presence consistently. We love you. Father, I ask for your work and your blessing in everyone's life under the sound of my voice. Amen. We'll see you guys for the next episode.